Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to another high resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. Today we're talking to one of the world leading virtual reality uh, free roaming experiences out there, Zero Latency. I'm talking to the CEO, Tim Roos, one of the co-founders of the whole operation, and it started here in Australia. It started down in Melbourne back in 2015. They have since opened 46 locations across the world. And here in Australia, they have locations in Melbourne, Perth, Gold Coast, and Brisbane. And just this month, they have launched their first venue in Sydney. So it seemed like a good excuse to catch up with Tim and talk about the whole history of this kind of VR experience. You know, I think when we think about VR, we think about buying our own kit a lot. We think about sort of the setup or sitting at a desk. This is a very different experience where you wear a backpack, you have a free roaming capability, you're not sort of tethered to a cable, and you can work in a group. So it's really unique, and it's a big part of why they've had such success. They've had lots of the major PC hardware companies work with them in order to tailor these things and get it working well. It's a really cool story, and so we do geek out on a lot of the technical details of getting VR to work well in this sort of context, the things they've learned along the way, what they think about the entire virtual reality uh, space as well, and how they see that evolving, and what the challenges are uh, for the future in this area. So really interesting chat. Tim is lovely and really, really great personality, so a really fascinating chat, and clearly somebody who knows so much about how to make a VR work really successfully. So sit back for the next half an hour and enjoy my chat with Tim Roos, the CEO of Zero Latency. Look, let's jump back to the beginning to kind of kick it off. You know, what was kind of that starting moment? How long ago was it now when you sort of first thought, hey, let's actually try this crazy thing? Yeah, so we, we um, I guess that sort of light bulb moment or that genesis of the project was in around sort of late 2012, early 2013, um, when the Oculus Rift had just come out. And um, the full the full sort of slightly more wacky tangent was um, that there, there was a thing, I don't know if you, if you remember it being a Sydney Slider, there was an IRL shooter game called Patient Zero where they got like laser tag guns, actors. It was this really successful crowdfunding campaign. They raised like a bunch of money. Um, but the execution was difficult because you can imagine trying to wrangle 30 actors, make up, like it was a very ambitious project. And my uh, co-founder had gone and played it and the Oculus Rift had been announced and um, we were working together at the time and Scott came in and said, look, 
I play this game, but had all these issues. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could do a similar thing, but in VR? Um, I reckon, I reckon we've got an outlined sort of technology that he was envisaging. And I was like, man, that's a, that's an awesome idea. Um, it sounds like a sort of childhood nerd fantasy of mine. Let's, um, let's get it done. And that was, that just became an obsession, to be honest. We kind of, we worked on it, um, in our spare time. Scott put a lot of hours in getting the initial, uh, prototypes up and running, Keel as well. And then it was kind of showtime. So being the business guy of the partnership back then, um, it was just three of us did a crowdfunding campaign, um, did some public demos, which was really good. And then got the crowdfunding up and running. Um, that was good. We raised like 32 grand of which I think six got gets taken by various people. And we're like, Oh wow, this is going to be a lot more expensive than we thought it was. Um, and luckily we got the attention through that, um, process of some venture capital guys in Sydney, uh, Carthona capital who gave us our first check and, off we went and the rest has been sort of, that was in 20. So in 2015, we went, um, we went pro as we like to say, we went full time on it. Um, and it's been a really, really busy uh, five years since then. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so look, you I mean, again, it, if like being five years, the tech itself sort of keeps evolving, you know, how, how much work do you need to do to sort of, uh, you know, refresh the setup, like thinking about maybe that, you know, the first venue in Melbourne, you've sort of now got a sort of a whole bunch of other venues in other cities as well. Um, yeah. But, you know, for that first location, at, at what points do you think, oh, you know, it's time to get new headsets, it's time to get the new, you know, a next generation bunch of backpacks, you know, all the kinds of tech that you're using um, in order to sort of keep that experience, I guess, as high end as possible? Yeah, well, the, fir- the first one that we we put together was backpacks from, like the local computer store inside backpacks. We then got a seamstress that did cosplay stuff to like make them out of canvas. <laughs> Brilliant. Spoilers, canvas holds sweat. So that was a disaster <laughs> and they had to all get thrown away. Um, and then luckily Alien, we actually found a Alienware um, Steambox computer that, because there was no backpacks back then and we were, and they were just so unreliable. We're like, oh man, we, we're just going to be in a world of hurt with these cobbled together things. If anyone knocks into them, they're running like half remote control, like remote control airplane technology with computer technology, like VR headset, these ping pong balls stuck on the top. We were butchering um, like uh, PlayStation move controllers to get the balls. So that was, Ah, that was, so there was all this crazy cobbled together technology. And then we put all these USB PlayStation cameras in the roof. doesn't use PlayStation technology, but it was the the best um, version that we could get with the, with our proprietary tracking technology that sits underneath it doing optical tracking. Um, we used to have computers in the roof, eight USB cameras, but then um, they all started to pop. Like this, this, the CPUs would go in them um, one after the other because they're just being flogged and yeah. they're, you know, so we, we realized that when it says on a, consumer grade product it can do x that's not true because no one ever makes it do x they, they go, don't go close to x um so then we had to do a full refresh um like ip cameras which was good and then centralize it all into a server rack and that was kind of our version one product that we ended up selling um into our first uh real like outside of australia site into sega in japan which was awesome into the joypolis there um we, it's, it's the trick. You're always in a balancing act between wanting to use the latest technology, but also waiting for it to be in prime time. Yeah. And you need to give yourself some time to stress test it in your R and D lab. Um, cause it's a trend. People say, Oh, it does this. When you put it under pressure, it doesn't always do what it says on the box. And then you've got to be able to operationalize it. And I think that's part of the, um, what we've done really well as a business, but part of the business challenge is how do you operationalize this technology in a way that the operator, um, 
can operate on the other side of the world. And that's 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 the hard bit of scaling out a business like this. So we've moved on to our Gen 2 technology, which is using Windows Mixed Reality Suite. Just been a really um, eye-opening experience working with them, working with HP. Um, we had um, a bit of a nerd honor of them releasing a patch for Windows specifically um, for us, which was nice. nice. It was a, like, that was a nice moment when yeah. Microsoft did that for us um, to just unlock some features in Windows Mixed Reality. But what's been really fascinating working with those companies is like working with Alienware back in the day. They're like, oh, you think you can use our computers in a backpack? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to like get some batteries and punch them in and make our own control box. And they're like, why would ever thought of using that? And then the same with Windows Mixed Reality. Um, they never really thought about multiple people in a space using it at large scale. We did a bunch of testing and said, look, if you can make these changes, like we're very confident that it will work. And it's been a an awesome um, tracking solution. And I think that's been a big jump having local tracking. It's just so much more responsive. It's faster. It's easier to, um, once, once it's locked into the slant tracking and it knows where it is, it's really rock solid and takes that gaming to the next level because the thing about a free roam, I guess any VR experience is pretty unforgiving. If the frame rate drops, if your tracking lags, if it's off center, mm. it, it's, it's, it's a nausea inducing disaster zone. So, um, you've got to get a lot of things working right. And it's been good to go, okay, we've got this great bespoke tracking technology, but it has some limitations. Um, let's use this this new one, which actually also allows you to have it in a slightly smaller space, which is cool because um, you're constantly battling, delivering an amazing experience. But what operators want is the smallest footprint possible because that's how you make money. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And, I mean, let's nerd out a little bit more on the whole free roam kind of system because – Clearly, it's hard. You know, if it wasn't hard, there'd probably be a lot more of them out there. Um, so, you know, how is it now working? You know, so you talked about all the cameras and things. Like, is it still externally tracked, or is it kind of inside out at this point, or sort of exactly what kind of a setup is it? It's, it's no, it's, it's inside our new technology, which is almost almost two years old now, but um, new for us is uh, all slam based inside out tracking. Right. So it's yeah, which is which is good. Um, definitely. A really a, a better solution. I mean, everything has its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, like it has its limitations, but it's it's very good in terms of operational efficiency and just that because it's rendering locally versus like outside in is where you put it through the entire server and back. It's pretty seamless. But what you're playing now is you're actually seeing your gun rotation, your head rotation, all happening in a local loop, which just adds that. You know, you're not yeah. you're not you're getting a lot just that little bit faster, um, which just makes it feel a lot more fluid. Plus the resolution is, I think, effectively almost three times higher than our headsets because you've got more pixels, the screens are better quality, the screen dooring is completely gone um, on the new reverb headsets and not even the G2s, which are better again. And that as you start to peel off the layers, like, oh, now the tracking feels like I can move my gun really fast and you don't start to see the gaps. Yeah. Whereas if before you could move really quickly and go, oh, okay, you're not, you, you know, you're only tracking X amount of frames, whereas now that's super fluid there's no screen door. You can acquire a target because we play mate, shooters more like 50 virtual meters versus 15 before it starts to fuzz out. Um, yeah. It just it just increases what you can do. Like working with the Far Cry franchise, you can now stand at the start of the game and look out over like a Far Cry certified vista. The birds flying off. It's really cool, yeah. and it just <laughs> it's not all about graphics, but um, it certainly helps. It certainly helps having that high fidelity. I think to just root people in the experience really. Um, really firmly yeah and so so sydney is about to open um 
I, I think the listing says it's the sixth location. Is that just the sixth here in Australia? Or? Yes, six, yeah. sixth here in Australia. We're going to have uh, 50 open by the end of the year all yeah, over the wow. world, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. So even COVID can't stop the train, slow yep. the train down a little, <laughs> but um, still still moving forwards with that, which is awesome. And, yeah, Sydney's um, Sydney's almost ready to go. I've got a few photos in before of the paint going down and all the signage going up. So it's exciting. Nice. Um, is... So, I mean, when we put it at the 50th, is this like an indictment on Sydney's real estate market, the fact that it's taken this long to make it to Sydney? Yeah. <laughs> is it about finding I, the right place? It's a, it's a combination of, I think one of the, there's, there's, there's advantages to being at the front of something. Yeah. Um, there's also disadvantages. And this is a disadvantage that when you go to explain it to somebody, they're like, oh, is it like a like time zone? You're like, not really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it's more closer to a time zone than a a. TV repair shop you can't operate in this, <laughs> yeah. in this jurisdiction. Yeah. So that's been a been an issue. Yeah, yeah, right. And we've got a we've got a good venue now, which is um it's really exciting. Um, really excited to get it to Sydney because we've got a lot of we've got a lot of investors up there. Uh, tech media is up there. It's been our white whale, Sydney, for some time <laughs> almost, and then ah no, it's collapsed. So. <laughs> That's when when we signed the lease and then COVID happened, we're like, oh, you've got to be joking. <laughs> I'm not saying we caused COVID. I'm not a superstitious man, but I could say the timing was weird. Um, but now that's but now that's all it's all systems go. And the really great thing, um, we're seeing it in the Gold Coast in Brisbane, um, because they've been open for um for quite some time. People are back. Like once once the spectre of COVID has lifted a little bit, people are back. And it's a really fun activity that like we actually social distanced our content, which was a interesting experience. We already have like alarms that stop you from hurting each other. So we're like, well, hang on a moment. Oh, Can't yeah. we just extend those out? So it's, it's safe in that, re- in that regard. Yeah. Um, we're already pretty like retentive about hygiene because you don't, yep. like no one wants to put on a dirty headset. I don't want to put on a dirty headset. I don't want you to put on a dirty headset. So we've always be- had a very rigorous hygiene regime. Um, yeah which has actually set us in good stead for this. So it feels like it's the right, it's always the right time for zero latency, but it's interesting to see like competitor concepts um, that really struggle in this kind of new normal, which could be here for some time. Whereas this is a small experience, like it's small groups, really hygienic. You don't even need to see another group. It's all, um, we can clean all the gear thoroughly in between sessions. Plus there's eight people in a two or 300 square meter space. So, um, which we see, and I think we're seeing that even in Melbourne, that's um, cracked that, cracked its second wave after its lockdown, we're seeing a really big resurgence of people wanting to come out of their homes and play, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, how, in all respects, you know, how does the kind of the business model work in, in, in the end? You know, that is there that element of, you know, do you see people sort of coming back on a regular basis or is it like, it, it's funny that when it first launched, it didn't like, I don't know. It feels like to me, escape rooms kind of are now a more, loud and proud thing as well. Um, yeah. And when this first launched, it wasn't even that parallel to it, whereas now there's sort of a bit of a, a parallel sense of it's like, you know, this virtual reality experience that I guess is a similar go out and have a small group of people together and have this sort of experience. I think escape rooms aren't necessarily all that replayable in a sense once you've solved all the problems. So, you know, how, you know, how do you feel like, that sort of idea of people kind of coming back to play again or just kind of attracting new people to it is? Yeah, look, we the biggest driver for us is word of mouth. So delivering good experience but gets more customers, um, which is which is really critical. Like a, it's almost like 60 to 70% of people say they heard about us first through a friend or on social media. Um, so that's a really big part of it. Um, but it's all, I mean, your marketing mix all sort of mashes together into a bit of a soup, but um, it's a really critical component. Um, people coming back, 
with friends and different friends is an interesting trend that we see. Um, but a lot of people, it's occasion-based, which is something that we're looking at. How do we shift that? You know, they come, it's it's not something you do every Tuesday night, like you might play indoor indoor cricket or whatever. It's something that you come for a special occasion to bring your friends together. So we're looking at ways that we can make that even more like seamless and affordable to come back in groups Um but what's, what's also really interesting is this is all over the world because we've got them in all different demographics and it's interesting to sort of see over about one and a half million games play globally now trends. And one of the trends is that we have in each city this group of kind of Uber players that will come back five or more times. And that's 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 getting rid of like, you know, game masters accounts like stripping all that out it's like there is so looking at how do we harness those people to be real advocates for the brand which they already are but um it's interesting to see it really captures some people's imagination and they'll keep coming back um at whatever price which is cool yeah and yeah is there is there scorekeeping and things like that in this i mean i guess yeah it might be worth trying to describe what's that experience for a set of players that that would give it that element of replayability so we've got we've we've got a, a, a spread of games um, that we have at different sites and different different sites would use different mixes depending on where they are in their launch cycle. But you get you get a score, and the scores are a lot more important than they thought they would be. To be honest, like it's it's something you know the competitive aspect is important for people. Um, so making that transparency of scoring has been critical. It used to be a little opaque. Now people want it, they want to come and go right. What's a headshot worth? What's a body shot? How do yeah, I how do right. I win? So that's you get that element so you can improve on your game. We also have a game called Soul Raiders, which is a PvP concept, which is very, very popular with um, repeat players. But one of the downsides of that is when you're when you're part of a group playing collectively, like yes, you can have a you know a how how big was my score contest with other players, but you can also just participate, be part of the squad. It's very different when you're being eviscerated by the other team. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's interesting the nature of like all our games before our um, Soul Raiders play versus player game, you could never really lose. You would always complete them. It was about your score. Um, but I think it's, it tracks different people. Some people are really, they want to just get in there and, you know, try to best their friends in a player versus player scenario. But yeah. it'd also be quite confronting if you're being held down your spawn point. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, one thing if you're just sitting in front of a screen having that happen yeah. to you when you're completely immersed in your destruction. <laughs> Doing the physical walk of shame back to your back to your respawn point all the time. <laughs> but we can and we also have a, we have games that are completely um non they're non-shooter games. They're really they're somewhere between a puzzle game and an experience. You essentially have to walk through the space together. But what we've done with those called Engineerium is make it's kind of like an MC Escher world meets an Aztec temple. So you're doing some really crazy like moving platforms, walking up walls, which is almost as impactful because it's taking you out of your physical comfort zone. Yeah. So as opposed to being like under pressure from being attacked and having to defend yourself. Um, you get people's adrenaline up just by saying, "Okay, I want you to, I want you to walk up this ramp. I want you to walk around this corkscrew. I want you to take these risks that you wouldn't take in real life." And even though people know in here that the floor is flat yeah. and that it's safe, it's interesting to see people go, "Oh man, I can't. Um, I don't feel I can do that." And that's um, so when you sort of see the power of it. I think when you get rational people, they know it's a trick, but they're like, "Oh man, I need to take. I, I can't. I have to like be led through it by somebody. It's really, <laughs> not everybody." Um, like when you take a, someone that's got a really deep fear of heights after about seven or eight minutes into the game where I think they enter this weird state where they forget. They know they're in a game, but it's so real that they're kind of remapping their reality and you put them on a high bridge. If you've got a bona fide like clinical fear of heights, like 
you know, you people people will just lock up. And sometimes a game master has to get out and go, it's cool, man. Like, just shut your eyes yep. <laughs> and I'll, I'll walk you to safety and it's all going to be good. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite powerful. Well, it's, it's fine. Powerful. I mean, I've you know, there's definitely research out there around sort of the use of VR to help people overcome sort of different fears, yeah. right? Because yeah, it's absolutely. like it's, re- it's very real while knowing it's not real. And if someone can still engage with it in the right way, then it's actually going to help them. So that's kind of a really awesome thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of um, a lot of potential there, I think. Yeah, and so then I guess as a as a business, is the overarching thing then about sort of just cre- you know opening more of these sorts of centers and things to kind of create that network effect. And do you own them all, or are they kind of franchised franchised out? Yeah, it's a franchise style model. We we have licensed partners in regions essentially that we've so sort of city by city. Um, we don't want to put too many in one city at yeah. once. Sort of we're testing the boundaries. We own or have a stake in six of them at the moment. Which is which is good, and it like one in Vegas, one in Sydney, uh, one in Melbourne, a couple in Melbourne now, um, one in Queensland. Um, but the majority of them are um, operated by other operators, which is a risk, but also a real advantage because it's hard to it's hard to have a big footprint globally um, as a small company. Like you mm. gotta you gotta pick your battles. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are there different um, markets you've kind of seen respond in different ways or is there any particular place that is like, you know, is working particularly well that, you know, stands out? Yeah, yeah interesting question. I think um, it often comes down to the, which we've actually now doing a lot of work to give them a even more sophisticated pack, um, good good operators with good marketing ability because um, we give them the technology, we give them the playbook on how to operate it, we give them the booking engine, we give them analytics, but being someone that knows how to manage a PL well and understands how to market is critical. We're actually, as part of our service, because we take a fee ongoing, um, we are now getting marketing campaigns, testing on our own sites, getting other information. So we are starting to see a network effect of we understand what works. We can test a lot of different concepts in different markets um, and and then see what works and be able to push that out to all the all the stores. Um, which is really, really helpful. Mm. And so, yeah, how exciting is the idea of a, you know, of a Ubisoft partnership around Far, Far Cry? I mean, that's kind of, yeah, I guess it's one thing to have, you, did you sort of develop your own games through those kind of first few or work with developers? And then I guess it's then a whole different thing when someone says, here, like, let's do a collaboration like that. Yeah, so we, we made all our own games initially um, up until Far Cry. So we've got another game that's coming out soon with another third party um, called Mission Maybe, which would be cool. It's more for kids. They built it. And that was a game they built for a free roam system that we essentially bought onto our platform. Cool. Whereas Far Cry is the first ever ground up build with a third party 
um, and you know, big a big company, big developer, um, a big IP. So there's there's pressure on all ends to make it to make it work. But it's been a really good experience. I think one thing about Ubisoft that really caught my attention when we were speaking to them and a couple of other different larger companies and also movie studios. We're looking at do we bring a movie IP in? Do we like bring a gaming IP? Like I, I feel like we love people to have agency and it's, it feels more like an interactive experience. I don't want it to feel like a theme park, right? I want it to feel yeah. like you're inside a world. And that's where games, I think games won out. But also speaking to the, like Ubisoft as a company, I think are quite unusual compared to their peers where they really want to do new stuff. They've got a real, I don't know if it's a European aspect of it, but they have this real, like we want to experiment. Like we don't just want to keep cranking the handle. They crank a lot of handles, but they've also got this really deep vein of research and experimentation and trying things out, which is really cool, which is what you want in these games because you need someone to come in and go, right, you've got a franchise. We respect that you understand that franchise, but we also have this new medium, which is pretty fresh and there's things that work and things that don't. And you need to have that um, that collaboration where yeah. they're bringing what they understand, which is making amazing games, and we're bringing what we understand, which is how to make a great free roam experience. Because unlike a game where you might spend, um, depending on who you are, but tens if not hundreds of hours playing a game, you have time to level up. Whereas if it's like, okay, Seamus, you've got 30 minutes and you really need to understand the core mechanics in 90 seconds, (laughs) it's a different thing. Plus you've got seven other people that are with you. So um, that and crafting a game that allows your like repeat players or your like gung-ho players to have a good time but your low skilled players to not feel like they're being dragged along and vice versa is um there's there's a trick to that yeah look it i mean it's such an exciting space in general and i mean over the five years do you feel like do you you have a sense of like has VR been going faster or slower than you expected? I mean, yeah, I think there's been those, there's been the hype moments, but there's also yeah, been yeah. the, um, that's almost a sense of going, well, it should have been further along by now. I mean, you know, what's your sense of how, I guess, both the tech and the reception of the tech has kind of been out there? I think, I think the, the promise of it is really strong still. And people who try a good VR experience are blown away by it. I think the industry grew it probably grew out of its boots a little quicker than it should have. I think with the Facebook acquisition of Oculus, which is exciting double-edged sword. Again, it got interest. Like it definitely helped us get funded. It, it, it allowed us to expand, but it also put a huge amount of pressure on the, on the little one, which is essentially a brand new industry, which had been mired with problems. And I think you had a nexus of batteries, like cheaper sensors, better screens. Like there was a whole a lot of stuff that was coming into a convergence. Um, but there were some crazy numbers put out there. But I think what's ha- what's interesting is to see the use cases kind of click into place, like the um, like setting it up in a location has been really, really successful. Probably one of the more like successful cases in terms of people generating revenue and buzz for their products, which is awesome. I think it's probably where I kind of thought it would get to. Um, I, think, I think the, and what we're starting to see as well with Steam VR, which is awesome, is, the real risk at the start was a fracturing of like, like, cause you've got this constant, like you need a platform for people to make content for, but no one's going to make content for a platform that hasn't got penetration. So there's this, like, how do you get that, that working? Um, mm. And look, all the all in one headsets, like the quest is a really interesting way to get that into people's homes. It's making people have to be pretty um, like inventive with what makes a great concept that like it's a lower, you haven't got the luxury of a PS5 workhorse. You've got a much smaller processing unit. Um, but I think in that standalone space and some of the stuff that will be coming down the pipe with those headsets over the next two years is really, really interesting. Um, and I think 
because it was VR and then it's like, oh no, VR's dead, AR's here. And then that kind of, oh, um, I think it all blends together. But ultimately, will, will it need to be in a pair of glasses before it's popular? Pro- probably not. Like I think seeing the Quest coming up really well, I think the, um, I won't say its names, but there's new headsets that are being released soon, that the pre-orders are really strong. I think there's, it's kind of settling in and people are seeing it as an option. There is more content. There's a couple of like tentpole um, titles out there that are that are worth getting the headsets for. So I, th- I think it's growing probably at the rate that it was always going to grow. But I think some of the hype at the start of, you know, we'll have 100 million headsets was probably a little ambitious. Yeah. And um, look, I mean, I in some say- ways it's probably played well for a model like yours where, you know, I think, look, you know, and I'm, I've got a setup here in my living room. Like I absolutely kind of thoroughly enjoy playing um, all sorts of stuff, but there's a palaver to it when you want to kind of flick the switches and get everything. Cause I know, right. Like the light boxes, I can't leave them on because they interfere with the living room infrared system to send signals to the TV. Yeah. So there's all these little things where you're like, okay, you've got to make sure you set everything up just right. Um, and that's something that a lot of people won't necessarily fuss with. And so they're like, oh, to go and have the experience somewhere is kind of more of a, of a trigger for them still yeah. until it sort of, you know, next wave of things comes down the line. And I think that, yeah, that's definitely helped us out as VR's profile has grown. Like we, we initially was in Melbourne, we opened, I would say 80% of the people that came through were tech enthusiasts, people trying to copy us, um, gamers and VR heads. Like it was, and then, but that's kind of that shifted over the first sort of six to twelve months, where we had a great moment um, where I was staying, watching some sessions, and a mother came through with her gamer daughter and two non-gamer daughters. They had a great time, and the mum bought her fifty-year-old girlfriends back it, the next month. So, because it is, and I think that's one great thing that VR does generally. But um, what we've tried to do is make it like you don't need to be able to play a computer game to play it. You just need to be able to participate in life in a bipedal reality. Like that's kind of if you can do that you can play. And I think that's been a really powerful thing, even to an extent where like people who are really immersed in video games all the time, probably don't like it as much. They still enjoy it as someone that hasn't played a modern video game in 10 years. Like I call them the golden, there's a golden eye generation that kind of come in, they play golden eye. That was, and then they, they got busy, had families, got jobs and they come back and go like, Oh my God, like this is incredible. So you're giving them a, a sort of next gen gaming experience and VR in free roam with their friends and that's a really powerful thing. But I do think we've spoiled VR at home for a generation of people who are like, what do you mean? I can't, I can't walk. I only can walk two steps, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but, but I think it's to your point around the lighthouses setting up, like that is definitely an impediment. And I think that's where the slam tracking all in ones and whether, and whether you just need one killer app, like, like Beat Saber is a great game yeah. and it hits that perfect mix. It's quick to learn, hard to master. It's social, it's time boxed. So you're not having some guy hogging the headset for 45 minutes. It's, it's very, it's very cool. It's a very, um, such a simple concept. And I think you're going to see more of those like stripping it back to basics. And I think also coming up with something that works in the medium versus, oh, I want to make a first person shooter and I'm going to like shoehorn it into VR. It's like, no, no, what's, I've got a VR headset. If I had never made a video game before, what would I do is kind of, and I think that's ultimately where we came at it from being, um, and we'd never made games. We'd never run um, a business. We just really loved it and saw potential. And there's like, okay, we've got, like we did some military training. We did some architectural visualization work early in the piece. We, but it keep coming back to gaming, but going, all right, like what experience are we making here and learning as you go, like putting real people in it and going, oh, it's interesting. Like one player's fun, but two players, oh my God. And when they can talk to each other, oh, hang on, hang on. Now we're getting somewhere. That social aspect was a lot 
um, a lot more important than I gave it credit for in the first year of the project, I would say. It was yeah. interesting to see that level up um, when you start to talk to your friends and when you see your avatar. Like we had a moment where we uh, first ever game, you could choose your avatar, even that sort of stuff of getting a more convincing avatar. Um, we, had, we had a bear in there for a while, bear in there. Da, 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 da. Um, <laughs> and, and we had this really interesting trend because it was early days. We watched every session, so hundreds of the sessions, that when you had a man and a woman in a relationship come in, the man would almost always choose the bear. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, what's going on there? There's a protector thing in there. Um, yeah, yeah you're right. It's fascinating like, psychology. Yeah, man. I was about to say, have you invited some psychologists along to kind of get, hmm, come and analyze this? <laughs> yeah, and then people going through and, and you know, like men spending longer on the female avatar and then, and then going off it and coming back to it. It's really interesting to see people's role-playing, what do they want to do. It's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating social experiment. I think that's one of the great things about, coming with your friends and you're, you're putting on this headset. So you, I'm looking at you that are pulling the headset. Oh my God, you're an avatar. We have this really crazy experience. And because like most of our games, you travel like hundreds of meters through different environments. So you're super immersed. We switch you around. So you don't really know where you are in the physical space and you pop out the other end and you lift it up and you're still there. It's a very, it's a different experience of playing an online game and then logging off and I'm by myself in my house. It's yeah. a really interesting continuum of social activity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, what are the kind of other other extensions out there? You know, is it like the, you know, at some point do you release the home game or do you or or do you even make a board game of Zero Latency, the board game? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, look, there's, there's definitely, I think there's, there's applications what we do in home. The pipeline to get it from, like, how do you make a game that feels as good in free roam as it does in the home is mm-hmm. a challenge. Something that we actually got a few prototypes that we're working through to hopefully make that happen um but yeah there's there's i think there's a like playing to our sweet spot is really cool we've got um like as an example i think we've had a few people approach us for this and hopefully um they're still under nda there might be a project this year that gets signed off but it's like say you want to build a large like a large public space um you've got a lot of stakeholders reading plans is difficult what i can do is go well, look why don't i put you in there and you can see how it looks um walking through there let's put a thousand people in there how does it feel what does it look like when it's summer winter high noon and you can actually put a bunch of stakeholders in a space and experience it which is a lot easier than like oh watch this 30 second 3d fly through that we've yeah. watched together you know it's and it's a lot um a lot it's a lot more honest than um a 3d fly through we actually yeah. did some apartments initially for a developer who remained nameless and we put the architect in the architects like no these apartments are too small we're like no man like they're literally to the millimeter um but even the guy designed, I was like these apartments are pretty little i'm like yeah man because they're little like that's what you built like it's, your vr spring is like the vr ain't broken yeah. friend <laughs> this is just a really little apartment um so needless to say it wasn't a great advertising tool for, for that market but yeah. for larger for larger scale public spaces where you're spending the stakes are high and you're spending a lot of money and you need to convince everybody that no, no, this giant, you know, auditorium or this giant um, atrium is going to look amazing. It's a really, really good tool for for selling the dream on those larger things, I think. Mm. So I guess to wrap up, you know, what, what is your, you know, your thought on, you know, like what's the next leap forward in a sense for some of this? For, for, yeah, for VR generally or yeah. for... Um, well, you know, I, I guess for, for both VR generally and for the kind yeah. of experience you you hope to be able to, you know, keep giving people or... Yeah, I, look, I, I, I really hope, like seeing the zero latency sort of side out of it, that I just hope that there is a, 
like we keep seeing people taking risks and experimenting with the whole XR suite. Like I think to your point before, there was hyper disillusionment. Like it's a really, it's it's a very different thing. It's not an iPad. It's not a computer. It's not a it's not a Game Boy. It's a very different medium, and it has some really powerful uses. It has some stuff it doesn't do well. Um, and I just hope that as we see headset prices come down, like the, the Quest Two is a pretty cost-effective unit for what it delivers. Um, as we see more standalone headsets come into the market and they ramp up, I just hope that people keep taking risks and investing in it because I think there's some really compelling, like shining light use cases out there. Uh, I think zero latency is one. I think a beat saver is one. It's like, no, you can you can com- make something compelling that's a business out of this and that people keep showing up and trying that um, and making sure that we don't end up with a series of little walled gardens um, like Facebook going, oh, now you're going to have a Facebook account. It's like, oh, man, can't we just all, can't we just all like give it, like let's let's let it bloom before yeah. we start chopping it up and and working out how we portion it up. So I think I'm hoping it stays open and experimental for a little while longer because I think that's what, it needs just a little more time to breathe like a fine wine, um, which is which I think is, is already, I think will hopefully happen because it's not, there's enough players in the market that are interested in it that it will it will keep developing, I think. Yeah. All right. So give us the rundown. Uh, when does Sydney open? And then what are all the other Australian locations that people can so, so find? Sydney, Sydney's tickets are on sale now and um, starting to move quickly, which is awesome. So jump in. opens on the 1st of December. It's a great, great place to go um, with your family, with your work colleagues, whether you like your family or not. Just choose your game. Do you want to work with them or fight against them? Um, <laughs> solve, your, solve your disputes pre-Christmas lunch. Um, so that'll be, so that's opening Sydney and we're in um, Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, um, the Gold Coast, and Brisbane. Awesome. So get on down. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.